We're going to continue in, in Ephesians chapter 2 with verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. May God bless the reading of his word. I entitled the message tonight, Revived, Refreshed, and at Peace. I listened a few years back to Bill Mills as he shared this with a group of pastors that I was with. He said, Men, I challenge you to give your people a vision big enough to own their hearts and beautiful enough to capture their lives. I challenge you to give your people a vision big enough to own their hearts and beautiful enough to capture their lives. Boy, if I could do one thing tonight, that's what it would be for this church. That we could see the potential of what God could do when he takes our ordinary lives and infuses those lives with his Holy Spirit and does supernatural things through the passions that he has given to us to be used for his glory. Boy, that is revival. Saying, God, here I am. Use me. In this passage of scripture tonight, we're encouraged to remember the past. We're challenged to be revived. And we're promised a refreshing peace. I had a professor at Berkshire Christian College 
who said, whenever you come to a passage of Scripture and you see the word therefore, go back and see what it's there for. And so just to remind you of where we have been, we opened Sunday morning with verse, verses 1 through 3. And we talked about what it meant to be dead in Christ. Dead with, the, with no hope. Dead in our transgressions and sin. And then Sunday night we talked about what it meant to be saved by grace. And what Jesus did on an old rugged cross. For you and I. And last night we talked about God making us his masterpiece. That we were created. We are God's workmanship. Remember we talked about going to the potter's wheel. And being shaped as seemed best to him. And we talked last night about giving our passions to the Lord. And what could happen if God gave us a vision of doing the things that we love to do. For the Lord. I'm here tonight and I'm wearing a Red Sox tie. Is Julia here? <laughs> Just for you. She happens to be lost. She's a Yankee fan. <laughs> Actually, there are a few Yankee fans that are Christians. <laughs> I have a brother that's when Pastor Tabor couldn't change him. And my dad couldn't change him. And we still think he's off. You know, from the time I was a little boy, I learned to love the Red Sox. And I got to tell you, when I was a little boy, the Red Sox stunk. They were about as bad of a baseball team you could ever imagine. I, I don't know. I, I thought sometimes that somehow Dad had cursed us with the love for the Red Sox. Because for years and years and years you know, we suffered through losing. And I was so happy that the Red Sox finally won a World Series before Dad fell asleep in the war. Uh, it, it was something that he, he had lived all his life. And we have a brother that's a Yankee fan, and, and the Yankees have been winning all these things for so many years. And, and it was a very tough life. But you see, I'm passionate, and I waited 50 years to see the Red Sox win the World Series. And many of the Red Sox nation waited longer. You know... I think God could even use my passion for the Red Sox to touch lives for the Lord. God has used golf to touch lives for the Lord. We talked last night about the man who loved to eat. I believe God can use food. In fact, I found in our church that if you feed them, they will come. Right? Right? If you want to have a crowd, you announce a meal. We're, we're having a friend day uh, this, this Sunday at our church. And, and we really encourage our people to invite their unsafe friends to come. 
And one of the ways they do that is to say, the preaching, well, you, you know, but the meal afterwards, we have the best cooks around. And I suspect you have some great cooks in this church. Now, I've got to tell you, I, to, I, I told you the other night that I've been in the gym and I, I, I really have felt called for that to be a ministry of mine. And the ladies in our church became somewhat alarmed when these bodybuilders started coming for Friend Day. Because I want to tell you, these guys can eat. And they don't just go once. They, well, I had a lady said she saw one of my guys go six times back to the, through the line. <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, I found that motorcycle people like to eat. You know, and, and these bikers love it when you have food. In fact, there are very few people I know who don't like to eat. Amen? And so it's one of, you know, when, when the early church was growing, they talked about how important it was to pray and study the Bible, but it also talked about breaking bread together. There's nothing wrong with the church having food so people will come. Jesus on a mountaintop fed 5,000, didn't he? Paul says, I want you to remember the past. Now, a lot of us are fortunate. I told you I accepted the Lord when I was five years old. And so, uh, I don't have some of the horrific stories that get told in a lot of the testimonies. That, you know, when people stand up and they tell all the big bad sins that they did in their life. Now, as a five-year-old, I haven't done that many things. And I, I'm still a sinner. I still do bad things. But, but I don't have one of those testimonies of, of all of that junk that God saved me from. But, you know, I'm, I'm proud to give my testimony and be able to say, God spared me from so much of that junk that so many kids have to go through and people have to go through before they find him. God allowed me to be born into a Christian home. And because I was born into that Christian home, God spared me. God gave me a great pastor who, who just loved me and cared for me. And, and I grew up in the church. And one of the worst things that we did was we, uh, the Fruin boys and the Ross boys, would break into the church to practice singing. You know, and, and, and that's what we thought of being real bad. You know. Now, there were a few things that I did that were wrong. I, re I sixth grade, uh, right by the church there, I went to the elementary school, and, and uh, we were in the second story of a building. And the teacher went out. And my teacher. My teacher weighed about 300 pounds. She was a, Mrs. Holt, she was a pastor's wife in, in town. But when she left the room, she left the room, if you know what I mean. And we knew that she was coming back in because we could see her before she could see us, you know. 
Nero's this poor little guy who had irritated us, and four of us picked him up and threw him out the window <laughs> into the snow. And we all got back in our seats before Mrs. Holt, you know, slid in. And she was teaching along when this little boy comes back into the classroom, soaking wet from the snow. And I went to see the principal. <laughs> and back then, principals could really do something, you know? And uh, they had the ruler. Anybody here get the ruler? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I found that you don't have to convince many people that they are sinners. I, I, don't, I really don't have to convince people how bad that their life has been. Most of us know we're sinners. But Paul says, I want you to remember your past because before you became a Christian, you were without the covenant of the promise. What are some of the promises in Scripture that you love? Can you share some? What are some of God's promises to you that you love? I'll be with you always. I'll be with you always. Eternal life. Frees us from the chains of sin. Sets us free. And? You will live long, right? You know there's over 30,000 promises in the scripture. And remember the song we sang as kids? Every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every line. It, you know, it, it's true, right? It's true. Every promise in the book is ours. But before we came to know Christ, we were without the promises. We were without hope. Can you imagine living life without hope? I don't know how people do it who don't know Christ. In our church today, we had a young mother lose a baby. We had a husband that went on a drunk with a wife and child at home. We had a man in our church who uh, things just went chaotic at work. He sent me an email and said, just pray. I had a friend lose an uncle today. Without hope, how could you go through all these things? Aren't you glad tonight that we are a people of hope? And we know, and it kind of, I have to tell you, when I got back to my motel room and I was having a season of prayer, and right before it I looked at my emails and found out all the stuff going on back at home, I got really excited about the service tonight. 
Because I said, you know, if Satan is working this hard, God must have something really good for us. Because I want you to know tonight, and this is my main language, Satan is a loser. Amen? Jesus defeated death and sin on Calvary's cross. And because Jesus died on a cross and he paid the price for sin, all those who put their faith in him have eternal life. So that even when Satan throws his worst at us, even at a time of death, even at that point, those who love the Lord have hope. Amen? Our hope isn't grounded in this world. We know that this life is temporary. But we also know that God has promised to those who believe eternal life. And our God specializes in resurrection power. And I want to tell you, there isn't one dead area in your life that Jesus can't resurrect. And there isn't one dead body that when that trumpet sounds, Jesus can't raise from the grave. Amen? Our God is a God who loves revival. It's who He is. It's what He does best. And there are people all around us who are lost in their trespasses and sin. They are dying, looking perfectly healthy, without God and without hope in this world. So that when the storms of life hit them, they have nothing to carry them through. I was, I was in the gym working out, and I, I saw this guy come in, you know, black man looking really, he's really fit, and, and he and I had talked several times, uh, he put up with the fact that I was a Boston fan, and, and we had taught basketball and all kinds of sports, and he came in and I said, Zeus, how you doing? And he said, do you really care? And I, I stopped what I, the workout that I was doing, and I went over to him and I said, Zeus, I want to tell you that I care more than you know. And this young black man in his 20s starts telling me what's going on in his life. How hard it is to be a single dad, black fellow. And the mother had abandoned her child and left him to raise a four-year-old. And he's working two jobs, shifting his life around so that he can raise his daughter. And I talked to this guy with the interesting name of Zeus about a God who loved him and cared for him. 
I wish I could tell you Zeus has already made that commitment to Christ. He hasn't yet. But we've had some wonderful conversations about who God is and how much God cares for him. And he's actually come to church for friend day a couple times. But I want to tell you, the message that we have is a message of life and revival. There is a uh, fella that was a trainer at the gym, and, and this guy, when I say this, he was this. I mean, <laughs> 300 pounds. He, uh, his bodybuilder, just, you know, it's disgusting. You know, I told you about the people who look in the mirror and do all this kind of stuff. Well, this guy, when he looked, all his little muscles moved, you know. I find that really gross, but. But uh, Jack wasn't in the gym for about three months, and I'd been missing him, and I, I asked his friend, the fellow trainer, Keith, you know, what was going on. And uh, he said, I don't know, but I'll find out. And what he found out was that uh, Jack had gained 75 pounds in two weeks and was in Emory University. Uh, his heart was one and a half times too big in the hospital there for 93 days at Emory in intensive care. And during that time, Keith talked to Jack and he said, Jack, I just want you to know that uh, Pastor Brent was asking about you and said he was praying for you. And Jack said that that day he'd gotten the word that he had less than a month to live. But he said, when I found out that somebody was praying for me, it gave me hope. And the hospital ended up kicking him out of the hospital even though he wasn't healthy, but because you know how insurance is? He was sent out of the hospital, and I'm condensing the story a lot to tell you that he finally caught up with me. He was, he was looking, he said that uh, the Lord had told him to find Brent Ross. And uh, he looked all over for our church, but our church is not on the main highway. We're off a side road. He didn't find our church, and finally he decided, you know, Brent goes to the gym most every day. If I'm going to find him, I'll go just sit in the gym till he shows up. And so 2 o'clock in the afternoon that, that uh, day, I, I showed up at the gym, and this big black man comes and engulfs me with his arms, and he starts sobbing. And he says, can we talk? And I said, sure. And we went in a side office, and he's just crying his eyes up. He says, I don't know where to begin. And I said, well, usually I begin with prayer. Let's talk to God about it. So he and I both got on our knees in the office and started to pray. I was in the middle of praying when the owner of the gym came in and said, you can't do that in here. doing it for months, but you know, you'll stop me today, okay. And, and so we went, I took Jack to, to a buffet, and uh, Jack, I didn't know I hadn't eaten in the three days since he'd gotten out of the hospital. He assaulted the Golden Crown Buffet. I, mean, <laughs> I took him and got him a 
motel room. We have a ministry in the community that does that and got him food for a week. And when I got done doing that, I just felt like the Lord wanted me to spend time with him. And so I took him to the church and I showed him around. You know how you do with people? This is the church, you know, and this is where I preach. You know, this is the Sunday school rooms. Here's where we eat. <laughs> I took him in. We have a, a prayer room in our church. It has a kneeling altar, lighted cross. It, it's, it's really pretty. I took him into the prayer room. And uh, said, Jack, the, I prayed for you on this altar. And I wanted him to see it lighted. So I flipped the switch. When I flipped the switch, I don't know. Uh, I'm not a charismatic. I haven't seen a lot of this before, but uh, I believe Jack was slain in the spirit because he went down on that altar face first like he'd been shot, and he just started sobbing and confessing his sins. And I didn't know what, you know, it's kind of stunning because one minute I'm flipping the switch and the next minute Jack is laying face first on the altar crying and confessing sin, and so all I did was wrap my arms around him, not all the way around, I couldn't, couldn't reach that far, but put my arms around him, and uh, Jack would cry, and then he'd laugh, and then cry and laugh, and about 20 minutes later, we got up off the altar, Jack turns to me and says, I have one question. I said, yes. He said, did you push me down? <laughs> I said, no, Jack, I was just as stunned as you were. And he, he said, well, when I saw you flip the switch, and when that happened, it felt like a baseball bat hit me in the knees. And I said, Jack, that was the Holy Spirit. I said, God wanted you today. <laughs> And I told him, I said, Jack, you're pretty special. I've never ever seen that happen before. I said, it was new to me. And I want to tell you, Jack is on fire for Christ. When you talk about the revival of this man, he'd had a filthy mouth. And he, I, don't, I don't want to know. All I know is that when he confessed his sins, Jesus paid the price. And I want to say to you tonight, Satan a lot of times will say to us, you know, you're not good enough. Why would God help you after all you've done? You know who you are. You know all those things. You know your doubts. I want to say to you tonight that on Calvary's cross, Jesus paid the price for your sin. And tonight, we who are far away are brought near through the blood of Jesus. And Jesus will never, ever have to die on a cross again. Because His blood paid it all. And regardless of what you've done and what you have been, I'm here tonight to tell you that if you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive you your sin 
and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And not only you, but his blood is available for whosoever shall call on his name. I told you that our church <clears throat> has taken on some new looks over the years. Jack became our first black member in our church. He sits back there and just nods his head. Called me today and left me a message on my phone and said, just want you to know I'm praying for you. Took a little adjusting for our people. But aren't you glad that Jesus loves everybody? Red and yellow, black and white, they're precious in His sight. Some of the most wonderful people that I've ever met are in Mozambique. Had the privilege of going with Ron and some other pastors to Mozambique. And I, I had prepared myself for the poverty that I would see and starvation, and we saw it. And I thought that when I came home, I'd be really depressed by the picture I saw in Mozambique. Average life expectancy is 37 in Mozambique. What I saw was incredible joy. Everywhere we went, people were dancing in the streets. Literally, weren't they? And these people who didn't have a nice house, they didn't have a nice car, they also didn't have any insurance payments, they didn't have a mortgage payment, they didn't have payments on credit cards, These people had a joy that I sat in Mozambique and, and, and so, so many times I sat there and said, God help us in the United States. With everything that we have, we look like the most miserable people in the world. You drive out on 485 tomorrow and you look at the faces in the cars. <laughs> honking the horn, shaking the fist. <clears throat> there were people that walked 20 miles one way to go to church in Mozambique. And I have people in my church that have a hard time getting in their car and driving four or five to come to church. We need a revival, folks. And I, one of my prayers is that we'll get some of the joy that's in Mozambique. I've told our people, I really wish that you could see what you look like when I look at you. You know, we sing, the joy of the Lord is by strength. And somehow we can sing that song, the joy of the Lord. And I, Lord, just give us a booze. 
Give us the joy of our salvation. Give us that excitement again that we had when we first met Christ. That's one reason why I love, I, I love where I pastor because we see people come to Christ on a regular basis and it never gets old. There's an excitement that they bring into our church. And, 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 and you know, I, I just say, thank God. Thank God. Don't you love new life? We have five expectant women in our church right now. I don't know what happened, just all of a sudden. It's fun to watch the older people around a baby. Right? You can, grandparents, we make the dumbest faces. <laughs> you know, that kid has to smile after a while. You would too if these adults were doing all this kind of stuff in your face. You know? Well, that's kind of what happens when new Christians come into the church. It brings a smile back on our faces because, you know, we, we had a, a woman that was, we had a testimony time in our service. But she got up and she said some bad words in her testimony. It was just part of her language, you know. And she was praising Jesus, but a few bad words slipped out, you know. And, and uh, some of our people, their eyes just got huge that that word was said in church, you know, and she didn't even know that she'd said anything, you know, and, uh, and I just laughed and said, that's okay, Krista, we love you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and afterwards we explained, you know, we didn't often say those words in the middle of the service. <laughs> I wish you could have seen our young people. <laughs> they were about on the floor. You know? <laughs> I love it when our young people get a chance to see people get saved. It never gets old. There is a peace that comes into our lives when Jesus comes in. And it's a peace the world cannot make. You know, if the world could have the peace that Jesus brings, they wouldn't have to sell drugs. And they wouldn't have to sell alcohol. This peace, though, is free. Amen? And this is a peace that is beyond all human understanding. For in the midst of sorrow, we are a people of hope. Amen? In the midst, how many here have a bad day today? Anybody besides those people at home? Anybody here have a rough day? Thank you. In the midst of our rough days, we know that Jesus has promised sometimes that he would never leave the surface. Is that what it is? Sometimes? Jesus promised never to leave us or forsake us. And he 
he also promised, I'm going to come again. Let's pray. Lord, restore unto us the joy of our salvation. May we be a people who are so close to Jesus that the glow is on our face like it was on Moses. I pray, Lord, that your glory might fall upon this church. And Lord, that as we are going, whether it's to work or whether it's in our neighborhood, whether it's to church or whether it's to the golf course, Lord, that everywhere we go, it might be evident that you are with us. Now, Lord, we have prayed for revival. And we believe that you are able to resurrect the dead areas in our lives. And I pray tonight in the resurrection power of Jesus that some will be set free. For I pray in Jesus' name. If you're here tonight, and there are some areas of your life where joy is the last thing you would call it. And you want peace, real peace, wonderful peace. I encourage you to come and just kneel at an altar and let the Lord meet you here. If you happen to be here tonight and you've never invited Jesus into your heart as Lord and Savior, I encourage you to take the best step of your life and to come and meet the Lord. Come as we sing our hymn.